So what this was, originally, this was the grand ballroom uh, from the Liebert Towers Hotel. So this is our art gallery. It is open to the public. Haircuts, stylists, hair colors. It's for cocktail receptions, um, you know, outdoor. During the summer, you know, the residents live up here. We have a nice garden that they tend to. Full fitness gym, Pilates studio, and then yes. When you're walking around the watermark at Brooklyn Heights with Rocco Bertini, the executive director, you feel encompassed by luxury. Any activity you want to do is available to you. There's multiple places to eat, and each of them are posh in their own way. And the views from the roof are truly breathtaking. You can see all of downtown Manhattan, the Three Bridges, all the way up to Queens, probably. It's almost like you're supposed to forget that you're in a retirement community. Welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal, your source for all things real estate. I'm your host, Isabella Farr, and today, our reporter, Susanna Cavanaugh, is looking into the evolution of the retirement community. As baby boomers are aging in senior living, developers and investors have shifted gears to meet their needs, and Susanna examines how the pandemic has hijacked development and whether these ultra-luxury communities are pulling the demand they expected. Retirement communities, and we're looking at independent living specifically, haven't always been associated with luxury. You know, historically, senior housing has been kind of on the fringes of town, you know, in suburbs with a lot of space or acreage to be able to build. This is Brian Schachter. He is the chief investment officer at Watermark Retirement Communities, which operates the Watermark at Brooklyn Heights and is one of the top 10 senior living providers in the country. And what Watermark is doing is moving away from that prototypical three-story suburban model you probably associate with senior living homes, you know, fairly flat, lots of ground, and moving towards this mid-to-high-rise urban model. We've done quite a bit on more urban or suburban urban locations. Uh, We have a handful of um, mid-rise and even high-rise projects that were uh, that we're developing that, you know, really capitalize on the amenities surrounding where our project's going to be located. So they're walkable environments, access to retail, restaurants, um, just general shopping, medical services, entertainment. You know, so our view is that seniors want to be in the heart of it and they don't want to be, you know, kind of secluded out in the suburbs. That's also a major shift from the types of living that for the past decade have defined one of the fastest growing developments in the space, the villages. They are the largest retirement community in the country, bigger than the island of Manhattan. And living there is basically like living in an all-inclusive bubble. When would you say that shift to urban the preferred location started to happen? So, you know, I would say that's still in the process of happening. You know, so in in our view, the baby boomers are a big driver of that. You know, we've started to see 
a number of projects pop up in these types of markets, and we're certainly on the, the forefront of that. You know, the retirement communities of 20, 30 years ago are, in some cases, borderline functionally obsolete. You know, they're really not, you know, they don't have the ceiling heights that people expect. They don't have the amenity spaces that, you know, people want to see. And so it's, it's just kind of a shift to, for the folks that can afford it, you know, would really like to be in, you know, more upscale, uh, urban or suburban urban location where they, they do have access. And these communities are actually pulling some people back to cities, which was interesting to me. Here's Rocco Bertini again. Most of your residents from New York, or do you have a lot of people? They're actually coming from, they're coming from all over the tri-state area. Some, some are coming from Florida. You okay. know, there are uh, a lot of uh, adult children that live here in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and they're bringing their, you know, their mom and dad back okay. um, where they were in Brooklyn, moved out of Brooklyn, and now coming back to Brooklyn. The shift to urban living over suburban is in some ways also pushing the shift towards luxury living. They're generally higher end, um, you know, charging, a, a, you know, a premium rate. But that also allows us to offer, you know, three, four, five dining venues, um, robust fitness and wellness amenities and things that just really weren't necessary, um, you know, of senior housing 20, 30 years ago. But really, the expectation is that the baby boomers are going to demand those types of things be available to them. So we're really developing for the next generation of seniors. From an investment angle, the fact that there are so many baby boomers sort of reads like a gold mine. So even though the entry age for some of these retirement communities is 55 plus, like that's very common, The average age for independent living, Brian told me, is actually 80. And that's been pushed back since the Great Recession. So people are entering these communities later and later. You know, that often surprises folks. They think of, you know, retirement communities as being kind of 55 plus or 62 plus or what have you. But people really aren't moving in until their late 70s at the earliest. And then you look at average age, it's in the 80s. So the oldest boomers who are just turning 77 or so are coming up on that sweet spot for retirement communities. For developers, their birthdays are signaling profit potential. Here's James Graber. He is the managing director for CBRE's Valuation and Advisory Services and the practice leader for seniors, housing, and healthcare. Yeah, so historically, REITs have been a primary 50% plus um, buyer of the space. The institutional buyers have definitely increased, institutional and private, um, on on uh, both levels, have increased significantly to be, you know, let's call it one third or so of the in, of the industry each, and um, and really that's grown out of the demographic story. Is really is hard to hard to uh, ignore from an investor standpoint. Where you know if you're looking at um, the longer time horizon and baby boomers hitting seniors housing in the next five years plus, and you have a five to seven year hold, even a development cycle, it starts to look fairly attractive. And you know theoretically, the, the demogra- demographic story was a race to stakes, right? These big guys coming into the space are firms like Blackstone. Tishman Spire, which had a hand in the watermark at Brooklyn Heights, and Related. I'm Brian Show. I'm, I'm an executive vice president at Related. I also lead all of our healthcare and senior living efforts. I'm John Moore. I'm the chairman and CEO of Atria Senior Living. Atria 
and Related are in a joint venture to develop the highest-end senior housing. So Related and Atria teamed up in 2018 with $3 billion to invest in senior housing. The focus was on urban spaces and with an emphasis on luxury. So what spurred that decision for you? We were, quite frankly, experiencing significant inbound interest in different living solutions for our core urban customers that were aging into a place of life where they were seeking something different. Uh, And number two, our analysis of kind of what was available to that customer just gave us some confidence that we could contribute some innovation um, and some design and hospitality difference to the field. Okay, that's interesting. So the decision came from your current customers and just knowing that they like city living, they want to stay, but they're aging out of their apartment. There's a an interesting side to that too, in that we were also on a mission to look at urban senior living because same thing, we saw that it was an underserved market. Senior housing had not been the highest and best use for for uh, you know for urban. Uh, development in the teens and leading up to when we started to do this. I mean, if you can build condos for two and $3,000 a foot, why are you going to do senior housing? Uh, you know, there are lots of baby boomers and older who become, the, the, you know, the city is their home and no one had really tried to build, build in a thoughtful way, um, you know, for urban seniors. Yeah, related coming at it from their angle, I, if Brian's going to get mad at me, but I always use the analogy, it's like, we were walking down one down the street one way, chocolate, and and Brian was walking down the other with peanut butter, and we ran into each other. <laughs> so, where did the three billion go? What cities did you target? What's under development now? What are you hoping will be completed soon? Um, we're presently under construction uh, in San Francisco, which will open the first quarter of next year. Uh, and also uh, in New York City at Hudson Yards, which will open also next year. Um, in we, we plan to start at least two projects, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast uh, um, next year as well. Um, there's possibly even a third start um, that will happen next year, depending on sort of how things resolve in terms of um, finalization of plans and the timing of, uh, of when we want to actually put shovels in the ground. It is worthwhile to note that Elliot Spitzer, the former governor of New York, had been involved in the Hudson Yards project. Spitzer Enterprises, however, sold nearly all its ownership interest in three parcels near the development site this week. Neither Related nor Atria wanted to discuss the Spitzer situation. They also didn't get into the specifics of how the pandemic affected development whether projects stalled or financing was difficult to secure. But one concern among investors is whether or not these buildings will be able to bring in the lessees needed to fill them up. When I toured the watermark at Brooklyn Heights, it had been just about a year since the building opened, but it was still only 10% leased. CBRE's James Graber says demand for these buildings has ebbed a bit since pre-COVID. I think with with COVID over the last couple of years, it's definitely slowed a little bit of that, um, uh, I guess, fervor for that for that product type, a mid-rise and, and kind of borderline a high-rise. I mean, we've seen um, some locations do very well, and, and it really depends on, you know, the adult children are, um, and so in a 24 hour city, if the, you know, if there's a lot of turnover, 
of the workforce um, and it's more of a transient location, um, you may have a little more trouble uh, filling these communities. There's also the bad press around nursing homes during the pandemic, which I asked John and Brian about, but they assured me that their product is nothing like that. You know, sort of comparing what we're building to a nursing home is a little bit comparing, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're not even the, in the same, they don't share any DNA, quite you, frankly. You, yeah, you Totally can't, different, totally different. I mean, we're building effectively um, hotel resorts in, in urban settings. You know, th the only difference is um, we have the care staff available for those that need it. You know, trying to recreate what we've created together in a conventional home would be virtually impossible. And so that's why we think that this is going to be such a unique value proposition for, for, for so many. Deconstruct airs every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Or you can listen at therealdeal.com. For comments on this episode or on the series, or if you have an idea you'd like to share, feel free to reach me or Susanna at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're kicking off three weeks of episodes focused on Miami with a look into the Surfside Collapse. Tune in then.